You did okay. Well, we sure are sorry for your loss, brother. So, you know, almost uh, everybody knows whether you've been uh, raised in the faith or not. There's a whole cycle to the the Christian year that follows the life of Jesus from his birth at Christmas, uh, on through his death and resurrection at Easter. What you may not be familiar with, though, is, is what we're talking about today. Hey, turn me down just a little bit. I feel like I'm echoing. What you may not be familiar with uh, is the celebration of Epiphany, the, the date of which actually falls 12 days after Christmas Day, uh, January 6th this year. Uh, and that actually kicks off a whole season of Epiphany that runs from this week right up through Ash Wednesday. And it's a whole span of Sundays intended as a joyful time to celebrate the amazing truth that God has revealed himself fully and decisively in Jesus Christ. See, that's what the word epiphany actually means. It, it means to, to dramatically appear. It means to, uh, to make manifest, to show up in a sudden and, and special way. That's an epiphany. Uh, and the Bible is filled with stories of those kind of moments. Uh, like when God showed up to Moses in the burning bush. Or when his presence filled Solomon's temple at his dedication. Or the, the fiery chariot and the whirlwind that carried Elijah up to heaven. But as dramatic as all of those moments were, the one we're going to consider today, the one that this season is designed to highlight, is the epiphany of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in human flesh. The human flesh of a newborn child and the incredible fact that he was revealed not just to God's chosen people, the Jews, which would have been miracle enough for God to do, right? But that he was sent to appear to folks of every nation and tribe and people and language in all the world. Beginning with a group, as we sung about earlier, a group of wise men from the East. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to follow along in the text. We're gonna be looking at Matthew, second chapter. I'll be reading verses 1 through 12 and then jumping down to 16. So Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and then jumping down to verse 16. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the true and living God. Matthew tells us, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it arose. And we've come to worship him. And King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way. The star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. 
And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. In verse 16, Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him to send soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the stars first appearing. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the epiphany of your son. Uh, As I said, not only to the Jewish people, which would have been miracle enough and and plenty of fulfillment to your promises, but you've revealed him and you've chosen to do that, Lord, to people uh, all across the world that includes us. And so we ask that you would lend us your Holy Spirit today uh, to see the epiphany of your son in his word. Uh, because, Father, we want to see Jesus. Amen. So, you know, if you... Uh, uh, well, let me ask you this. Who, who all came to Christmas Eve service? Yeah, a lot. Of, okay. If you missed Christmas Eve candlelight service this year, you really missed something special. Uh, and, and for those of you who, who don't know, uh, for the past seven seasons, Pastor John has not only conducted most of the service, but he actually composed and, uh, and planned it out. And, and he always does it uh, in a way that takes in the whole sweep of the salvation narrative by reminding us uh, not only that Jesus was the long-awaited son of David and the promised heir to his throne, the, the one who would rule over Israel forever, but he also always reminds us each year that Jesus is more than just the Jewish Messiah. He's also king over all of creation. And that he is Lord not just of his Hebrew people, but of all people. Because as Pastor John reminded us, it wasn't just the shepherds who were enlightened on the night of our Lord's birth. But, but that far away in, in what would be present day Iran, Magi saw a star in the east. And they decided that this stellar anomaly that was so different in its brightness was the star foretold by the Jewish prophets way back in the days of Daniel. And they knew enough of those prophecies to know uh, that the uniqueness of this heavenly event pointed to an auspicious birth whose time and place were no accident. It wasn't random. It wasn't an unplanned occurrence as newborn babies can often be, right, Carol? Uh, it wasn't, it, it wasn't uh, as happens in the average family where you're not exactly sure when they're going to show up. Uh, like in particular, there, there's a family where this little four-year-old boy overheard his parents having a conversation about the fact that they were expecting another child. Uh, But he knew he wasn't allowed to eavesdrop, so he didn't say anything. Until about a week later when uh, a family friend came around and asked if he was excited about the prospect of a new baby brother or sister. And and he said, yeah, yeah, I am. But he said, you know, I just can't figure out the funny names that daddy has picked out. Uh, Because he explained, "I, I heard daddy say if it's a girl... He wants to name her Emily, but if it's another boy, he wants to call it quits. (laughs) That was a terrible joke, I'm sorry. But you know, Jesus' birth wasn't a surprise, was it? It was no accident. He was the long-expected appearance of the Son of David. And church, he is the epiphany of the Son of God, revealing that he is both God and man and so uniquely qualified to be our Savior. And today, 
As we come to our scripture lesson that we read concerning these wise men's visit to this unique being, to this most special boy who, as Pastor John said, we find now is no longer a baby at their appearance, but a toddler. We immediately see that in the text there's two responses to our Savior King's epiphany, isn't there? Uh, the same two responses that his manifestation evokes in every age. Some people loved him and some people hated him. Some people respond to him in love and others want to kill him. And in particular, we're given the example of this guy named Herod the Great. Uh, if you don't know a whole lot about him, just by background, about 60 years or so before Jesus was born, the Roman general Pompey captured Jerusalem and then the rest of Judea and, and Samaria. Uh, and the Romans always installed these little local puppet rulers in those areas they conquered, and eventually Herod became one of them. Uh, he, was even, he was even crowned king of the Jews by the Roman Senate in 40 BC in Rome, uh, which is only about 1,500 miles or so from the capital city where he was supposed to govern. So, so it would be like, you know, did you see the new uh, mayor of New York? It would be the equivalent of the next mayor of New York having to travel to the Florida Keys for his inauguration. Uh, so you can get some idea of how unpopular this guy actually was. Uh, because the Jews hated him, and the Romans just wanted to use him. And so because of that, Herod became a paranoid tyrant who ended up killing three of his sons on suspicion of treason, uh, putting to death his favorite wife out of the ten that he took. So if you can imagine how the others were treated. Uh, killing one of his mother-in-laws, drowning a high priest, and killing several uncles and a couple cousins. And he even, believe it or not, put into his last will and testament, it's rumored, that upon his death, his generals were to kill a whole stadium full of Jewish leaders because, as he said, he knew that would be the only way there would be any mourners to shed a tear in Jerusalem on the day of his passing. So despite his title of Herod the Great, he wasn't such a great guy after all, was he? And in fact, Caesar Augustus is quoted as saying he'd rather uh, be Herod's pig than one of his sons. But that's because, you see, Herod is the exact opposite of Jesus. And the opposite of all the wise men who sought him. You see, Herod was an illegitimate and worldly king. Our King Jesus and his followers are the kingdom of God. And so Herod, instead of using his power to serve people, he uses people to preserve his own power. And instead of helping people, he hates them. But church, we know that in the ladder to greatness in God's economy is the exact flip side of that, right? You guys remember it as a kid... Uh, I know I remember growing up in Pennsylvania, in the winters we used to play a game called King of the Mountain. Mm -hmm. You guys remember that? And the, the goal was to do anything and everything to get to this top of this huge pile of snow. Right? Well, that's, that's a great picture of the world system. We see the kingdom of God, when it's revealed, we get the epiphany that that's completely backwards. That's why Jesus says to us in Mark chapter 10, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. As you see, if Herod had been the right kind of ruler, he would have rejoiced to see the appearance of the King of Kings. But instead, Herod wanted to kill him. He's, he's more interested in, in saving his throne and saving his reputation than saving his soul. Especially when Herod hears that some foreign wise men now have come to town to worship a newborn king. Because uh, he knew right away that couldn't mean him, right? 
And he also knew that it couldn't even mean one of his sons that he hadn't already killed because none of them were babies. And so immediately he feels threatened. And church, whether we admit it or not to ourselves, uh, so do we at times feel threatened. Feel threatened by what we know about what God wants and expects of us. And so Herod then is the perfect picture for us of fallen humanity and of our sinful world. Uh, because, and this is, this is so very important. The Bible is very clear that as human beings, we are not by nature just indifferent to Jesus. Those outside the faith uh, are not just neutral to the things of God. Without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, we are instead actively antagonistic toward him unless he intervenes to change our hearts. In other words, church, without an epiphany of Christ, we don't appreciate his rule in our lives. We don't want his government. Let's be honest, we don't even want his opinions and would rather not even hear his word. But instead, without Christ, the world says, God, I know what your plans are, but thanks anyway. Uh, I've got plans of my own. Without God, we say, uh, I know what your word says about marriage, but you know what? That doesn't work for me. It's easier for us just to live together. Without God, we say, you know what, Lord, I, I know what your word says about giving, but you know what? I need what I've got. And isn't that, isn't that whole tithing thing just an Old Testament rule anyway? Or we say, you know, God, I know how you feel about the sanctity of life, but I'll make my own choices. Thank you very much. When instead, we ought to be seeking to make ourselves available in worship to Jesus as our sovereign king, just like those wise men did over 2,000 years ago. And if you were paying attention to the text, it was even at the risk of great material sacrifice and their own personal safety. Right? Remember we read after their interview with Herod, right, with this crazy king, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy and they entered the house. Saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so these wise men not only risked the wrath and anger of this unstable king to worship Jesus, but they also brought him sacrificial gifts, right? Gifts of three of the most precious items to be found at that time in the Middle East. And then the first and the greatest of those gifts that the Magi gave to Jesus was gold. Now, gold has always had an intrinsic value. Uh, always had a, uh, an economic stability about it. And, and you know what? I'm sure it came in awfully darn convenient for the Holy Family. Right? But, you know, gold was a gift fit for a king. Symbolized majesty and wealth and power. But think about this. The giving of it also represented a significant sacrifice on the part of the giver. So that makes the question to us today is what's your greatest treasure today out of all the material wealth that you have? Of all the gifts and the blessings and the ability that God has gifted you with, which one right now do you consider the greatest, the most valuable to you? What's the last thing right now you'd want to see taken away from you? You got something in mind? Maybe someone in mind? And now we have to ask, could it be that whatever that thing is that you're holding on to so tightly has come to be a wedge between you and your relationship with Jesus? It's possible. Leaving the nagging question to be really, um, can I trust Jesus with this? Whatever that this happens to be for you. 
Can I trust Jesus with this? Can we offer up everything to him and live the kind of life that shows that we have been changed and spiritually enlightened by the realization that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be and that is the greatest treasure that we can possess? The Magi also brought frankincense. If you don't know what that is, frankincense is a type of uh, incense that was burned uh, along with others in the worship of God in the temple. Uh, now, we're not part of a Christian tradition that burns incense. Anybody come from a church background that burns incense? Yeah, okay. We, we don't do that, but uh, there is a way the Bible says we can offer up incense to God even without physically burning it. If you happen to look uh, in the back of your Bible, the Apostle John writes in Revelation 5, chapter 8, he says, The 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, and each one held a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So you see, the Bible says our prayers are received as incense before God, and they're a beautiful aroma coming before him as we pray corporately, like we do during worship. But we need to ask, right, do we pray and personally burn any incense during the rest of the week? Do we, do we pray either alone or with others, asking God for enlightenment, asking him for an epiphany about all those things that we want to try to accomplish that day? Asking that God would be glorified in whatever things we do that, that day. And that we would be guided and protected by him. And that we would be led in the path that he's prepared before us. Uh, and if you need any encouragement in that area, I'll tell you, we have a, a brief little prayer meeting every Wednesday night right before Bible study. The folks that come to it will tell you. Uh, and you are welcome to come to it to uh, pray and be prayed for. And we'd be glad to have you. Not because there's any magic formula to our prayers. Uh, not because there's some magical way that we can get what we want from God. But rather, it's the way in which we learn what God wants from us. And how we begin to align our will with him. The third gift of the Magi was, was myrrh. Uh, it's a spice used for embalming the dead, which is kind of a crazy thing to take to a baby shower, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, it also foreshadowed the death of Jesus and the path that he would take to obtain our salvation. So all of these gifts of the Magi together conveying the true revelation, the real epiphany of who this child is and what he was destined to do. And that actually brings me to the last of the wise men's gifts. Now, it's not... It's not exactly named in the text, but I think it's implied. Uh, and that was the gift of their whole lives. The gift of their lives. And, and, and not just for fear of what Herod might do to them for ignoring his orders, but the very fact and act of laying before Jesus their hopes and their dreams and their reputations, right? These, these kings, these men bowing down at the feet of a little toddler, living in a tiny little house in a backwater town. Now that takes some faith, doesn't it? God-given faith. Faith in Jesus, our king, and that he gave his life for us and he's called us to live our lives for him no matter the cost, even to death. And so, brothers and sisters, are you sure enough today of who Jesus is to die for him if you would be called to? Or maybe more importantly, I should ask, are you sure enough that he will raise you from the dead to live with him forever uh, when you do eventually die? Because we all will. Are you sure right now that if you died tonight, you would find yourself welcomed into the presence of the king? And if you aren't, uh, I invite you, if you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you in this service, uh, if the Spirit is touching your hearts, respond to him today, right where you are. You don't have to walk down the aisle. You can do it right where you're sitting, remembering that Christ died for you and received the forgiveness and mercy that he offers. And to all of us who are in Christ, know that he is calling us today to meet with him in the bread and cup. 
calling us to meet spiritually with him, receiving the grace and the mercy and the wisdom that we get from there and, and believing and looking forward in hope, acknowledging that this new year is under the sovereign rule of Christ, regardless of COVID or anything else. Remembering that Christ is our king and we are safe in his hands and we are called into his service and we're committed to share the epiphany of his love with everyone that we meet. Because as the Bible says, for, for at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. That's why it said, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Will shine on you with the same light uh, as the light of that star that led the wise men to their fateful meeting with the long-awaited Savior. The one, brothers and sisters, who, if you are in Christ, is waiting to meet with you here today at his table. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, on this Epiphany Sunday, as we remember the visit of the Magi and the gifts that they brought uh, in the worship of the newborn King, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to live lives of worship and of grace in your service. Help us, Father, to come together to confess your name and sit together at one table as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so come now, Lord, we ask and continue your transforming work in this time and in this place that eyes may be opened that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And I'm going to invite, as we sing our communion hymn, for Pastor John to come down front. He's going to deliver the communion elements uh, for us today. Thank you. 